We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Nicole Wallace of MSNBC and a host of other mainstream media hacks actually come out and label. They actually call Winsome Sears a black woman that just won the lieutenant governorship of Virginia, the face of white supremacy. And then they turn around and say, that critical race theory isn't real and it's just an invented boogeyman of the right-wing Republicans. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Friday morning, the last day of the week, the last episode of The Rebellion for the week as we enter into the weekend. And oh, how the political landscape has shifted in the last handful of days, hasn't it? I mean, just a week ago, just a week ago, everyone was saying, that Terry McAuliffe was going to win the governorship of Virginia. That the former governor would reclaim the title and that Glenn Youngkin would go down in defeat. And they were going to blame all of his conservative values for that loss. They were starting to get a little nervous, however, because you could see that McAuliffe was scrambling a bit and he called in all the big guns. Joe Biden... Barack Obama, Kamala Harris, they were all there. You know, I've already covered it this week. Barack Obama actually said that all of this focus on cultural wars, all of the focus on culture wars, was fake outrage. It was contrived. It isn't real. That it was just a distraction of the right wing, of the Republicans. You know, talk about critical race theory and all of this concern about sexuality in the classroom, you know, kids being taught um, LGBTQIA intersectionality stuff when they're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. No, that's not true. This is all just fake outrage. It's just trumped up, said Barack Obama. Kamala Harris came into town and she said that the outcome of the Virginia election would be a harbinger of what was going to happen in 2022 and 2000, 2024. I'll say that again. A harbinger of what was going to happen, what will happen in 2022 and 2024. I, from her lips to God's ears, may that be so. I, not the way she intended it, but I pray that it's so. I've covered this story from my perspective. I've shared with you that I think there's a silver lining to the cloud of all of the lunacy that's taking place in our nation. I shared with you the, the parallels that I see in the biblical account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. These iconic, these emblems of sin, these corrupt cities in the Old Testament that God finally decided to destroy because their sin was so, so pervasive. But I said 
in spite of the fact that, yes, this is a very sobering story. It's not something that I'm celebrating, and not at all. In fact, I think we should take heed. We should understand the warning that God intends in sharing that story in the Old Testament. It's a warning for all the generations to follow. He who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. Well, we ought to learn the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah, because are we that much better today? Really, are we any different than Sodom and Gomorrah today? Well, we may be in this sense. As you know, I said the silver lining to the dark cloud of that story is Abraham's negotiation with God himself. Abraham pleads with God and says, if we can find just 50 righteous men in Sodom, will you spare the city? And God says, yes, the entire city, if you can find 50 righteous men. And as I told you the story yesterday, it appears, at least in the Piper paraphrase version, that Abraham quickly recognized that he set the bar a bit too, too high, that he might not be able to find 50 righteous men in that corrupt city. So he he proceeded to negotiate down. Well, if I can find 30, how about 25? Well, will you save the entire city if I can just find 20 righteous men? How about 15? And you know the story. He keeps going down. And God says, yeah, yeah, done deal. I'll spare the city for 15. Abraham finally ends by saying, how about if I can just find 10? Just 10, will you spare the city? Will you withhold your hand of judgment? And God said, yes. Now, apparently, there were, there were not 10. There weren't 10 righteous people left in Sodom. The city was destroyed. But, oh, and by the way, you're saying, do you actually believe that's a true story? Yes, I do believe that's a true story. In fact, we know that in the area of the Dead Sea, where Sodom and Gomorrah were reported to have been, they have found they have found evidence of those cities' existence. And you know what? There's also evidence of a very serious destruction by something that burned a lot of stuff up. So to deny, to deny that uh, this story is real is to not only deny the biblical account, but it's to deny the archaeological evidence. And the historical account that's been passed on orally from generation to generation and generation. So that aside, yeah, I believe the story is real. In, in all ways, I believe the destruction of Sodom took place. I believe that Sodom was destroyed because its sin was so pervasive and, and, and they were beyond the realm of redemption because there was nothing left in their heart where they were interested in repenting and confessing and turning away from themselves and toward God. That's the message of destruction and judgment. But the other message in there is, it appears that God was willing to withhold his hand if there were just a handful of people left that would follow him. So do we have that in the United States? That's the reason I brought that story up yesterday. Well, maybe this election is evidence that we have that here in the United States. Maybe we've got nearly 50% of our population willing to stand for common sense, sense that's common, for natural law, law that is evident in nature, and for biblical truth, as Martin Luther King Jr. referred to it in his letter from the Birmingham jail. 
There is no such thing as a just law unless that law squares with the law of God. Not man's law. Not your contrived laws that are derived from power and politics. Lies and deception and deceit. No, the law that's grounded in the eternal truth. The natural truths, the self-evident truths that our founding fathers used as the very foundational cornerstones of our constitutional republic. So, that's why we're a different nation. So the question is, do we have a remnant of people, only 10 righteous souls that can stand in the face of this corruption and as the result warrant God's withheld hand? Do we have that? I've got a spring in my step. I'd like to believe that there's evidence that there's some out there within that population that rose up and said, no, you won't do this to our children. We don't buy your the racism, the blatant racism of your critical race theory. No, we don't agree with that. And we're not going to have you corrupting our own sons and daughters, heart, minds, and souls with your LGBTQIA alphabets, rainbow soup, fluid identity claims. It's just nonsense. What I want to talk to you about in the last uh, two-thirds of the show today is this claim by Wallace that critical race theory doesn't exist, that it's fake, that it's not even real, that it's not being taught in our schools. You know, it was actually claimed in that National School Board Association letter, too. You remember I, I highlighted that. I said they are, they're actually saying that critical race theory isn't taught in schools. What have these people been smoking? How stupid do they think we are? I mean, it, it's been in every, <laughs> every headline on every front page across the land for the last year or so. I mean, where do you think the words white privilege came from? <laughs> Why are we talking about whiteness all the time? Why are we talking about the oppressed class and how white people are responsible for oppressing everybody else? Why are we seeing videos of Caucasian women on the streets of New York being forced to kneel down and repent and confess their whiteness before a a black man who has a video camera on them? Why are we're just making this stuff up? And what about our schools? Is there any evidence that this stuff is being taught in our schools? Or are the conservatives just taking this argument to the extreme and exaggerating it? Well, I'm going to answer that question very forthrightly immediately after this break. And you know what? I'm not even going to use, I'm not even going to use um, any evidence from any city. No, I'm not going to go to Chicago or New York or Washington, D.C., or Seattle, or Portland, or Los Angeles. I'm not going to go to Austin, Texas, or Phoenix, Arizona. No, I'm not going to go to Houston. I'm not even going to go to Oklahoma City. I'm not even going to go to Tulsa. You know what? I'm not even going to go to Bartlesville, the small town of 40,000 that's closest to me. I'm going to go to the small little village of Mansalona, Michigan, up in the upper portion, the northern portion of Michigan. And I know this town because I drove through it many times when I was a vice president 
of my alma mater, Spring Arbor University in Spring Arbor, Michigan, because I would take students up there for a, a weekend experience out in the farmland at Cedar Bend Farms, where the kids would learn to butcher their own chickens if they wanted meat, to clean out horse stalls, to stoke a wood-burning fire, to live like their great-grandparents did, or in some cases, their grandparents did, and realize that, you know, <laughs> your meat doesn't come wrapped in cellophane, and uh, somebody had to get their hands dirty to give you the easy life that you now enjoy. But the closest village to Cedar Bend Farms was Mansalona, Michigan. I don't know how, what the population is. I'm going to guess it's probably, I don't know, two to 4,000, I guess. I may be high. I'm not sure. Um, a, a church or two, pizza shop. I think they may have a small grocery there. I remember they had a snow pole in the, the small little park in the center of the village. What's a snow pole, you ask? Well, it's where they measure the annual snowfall. And in Mancelona, if I remember correctly, the red mark at the top of the snow pole for the previous year's snow, I think it was 21 or 22 feet. <laughs> Mancelona, Michigan. I love these places. I love these places. What a, what a uh, uh, iconic what a, what a poster child of a home, right? Uh, where would you want to raise your kids other than Mansalona, Michigan? Surely things are pure and uh, they haven't been spoiled and corrupted in these small little villages in northern Michigan, right? They haven't. Have they? Well, I've got a friend who sent me a lesson, an assignment that his daughter brought home from the public schools of Mancelona, Michigan. And I'm going to read it to you after we take this break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, so the claim that's coming out of the mainstream media right now, pervasive claim, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's all over the place. It isn't just this Wallace woman from MSNBC that's making the claim. Everybody's making the claim that critical race theory isn't really taught. It's, this is a made-up issue. Yunkin made this up, and his supporters made this up. All of these racist Republicans and these duped independents, all of these white supremacists went to the polls and voted against critical race theory, uh, something that doesn't even exist. They've said this. They actually have said this. And either they think you're stupid enough to believe it, or... They've lied to themselves so often and so effectively that they now are that deluded. How in the world could they not pay attention to their own stories that they're reporting? How? How could they not understand that Black Lives Matter and its Marxism is fueled by the Marxist conflict that is the very spine of critical race theory and all critical theory? the social conflict, the, the quest for power. H how could they possibly be oblivious to the fact that we have new phrases and new words that mean something today that didn't even exist or mean anything yesterday, like white privilege and whiteness and how people of a given color of skin are considered less than fully human, to quote Nick Cannon. 
How could they be oblivious to Nicole Hannah-Jones's teachings and her quotes where she disparages all people that have white skin as almost being barbaric? Not almost, she says that, as being barbarians, uh, people that can't be trusted, people that are responsible for everything that, everything that ails the earth. It's the responsibility of these people that look this way. And then they call you a racist for saying, excuse me? Uh, that smacks of racism to me. Well, well, that's not being taught in our schools, we're told. This critical race theory as part of the curriculum in our schools isn't real. It's just a made-up boogeyman of the right. Well, here's an assignment from Mansalona, Michigan. Okay, It was sent to me directly by a parent whose child, whose daughter brought it home. The headline in bold at the top is this, white privilege and whiteness. Then it says, under the heading of learn, it says this, traditionally studies involving race have been of black, indigenous, and brown communities, but not whiteness or white identity. However, in recent years, academics have begun to study whiteness as a system, full stop. Okay, so we've heard whiteness, white identity. We've heard whiteness again as a system. Systematic racism, systemic racism, that the system is racist, and that whiteness drives it. They've said it in the first sentence. Let's go on. Because of the historical underpinnings of the United States society, Learning about whiteness or white culture and privilege is a critical element in the process of achieving racial equity. Full stop. Equity. They didn't say equality. They said equity. We've talked about that before. Equity does not mean equality. Equality would be everyone has equal value, equal opportunity, to engage in a society that grants equal, equal potential, but does not guarantee equal outcome. You follow me? That you have equality, I have equality with you, and you have equality with me. That does not mean we have equity, which would guarantee equal outcome, regardless of skill or work performance. Equity would imply that I should be able to play on the same basketball team with LeBron James because equity should be demanded. Equality would suggest that I have the equal opportunity to try to perform at that level and earn my spot on the team, but I'm not guaranteed anything because I might not be good enough. Guess what? Very few people would be. It's stunning that the professional athletes have bought into this equity argument when the very reality of their profession denies it at every turn. Professional athletics is not a system of equity. It would be boring to watch if it were, because I'd be out there and you'd be out there, along with the LeBron Jameses of the world. All right, let's go into the next paragraph. I've got six pages of this. I don't have time to get into it all. I've just gone through the first two sentences. 
And we've heard about whiteness, white identity, whiteness again, the white system. And now we're hearing about the underpinnings of the United States society. And then we need to learn about whiteness or white culture and white privilege. And we need to learn about it being a critical, hmm, the word critical, element in the process of achieving racial equity. The next paragraph. In America, whiteness is the standard and the criteria used to determine whether ideas, actions, or experiences have worth, merit, or value. Says who? Says who? This isn't a question for them to discuss and debate. This is a statement. This is a proclamation. This is a truth in their view. It's the way it's presented to these junior high kids. In America, whiteness is the standard and the criteria used to determine whether ideas, actions, or experiences have worth, merit, or value. Says who? Tell that to Clarence Thomas. Tell that to Thomas Sowell. Tell that to Larry Elder. Tell that to Candace Owens. Tell that to Walter Williams. Tell that to Frederick Douglass. Tell that to Booker T. Washington. Tell that to Shelby Steele. I mean... We could go on and on and on. Tell that to Virgil Walker. Tell that to Timothy Scott. Tell that to Winsome Sears. That whiteness is the standard and the criteria used to determine whether ideas, actions, or experiences have worth, merit, or value. This is a crock. It is being taught in the schools. I'm reading it to you. This isn't me making anything up. I'm reading the assignment to you from Mancelona, Michigan. Not San Francisco or New York City, but Mancelona, Michigan. And if it's being taught there, do you think maybe it's being taught in your own backyard too? Probably the exact same assignment because they're copying and pasting this stuff pervasively out of the same critical theory textbook. Next sentence. Remember, there's six pages of this. And I'm only in sentence number five, maybe? Sentence, not page. Too often, whiteness dismisses the experiences and worldviews of people who are not white. Because the opinions, values, needs, and beliefs of people who are not white don't have merit. Says who? Says who? Who made that one up? Is that not real? Miss Wallace? MSNBC? Mainstream media, Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon, is that not real? Did I, didn't re- did I not just read a real statement from a real assignment, from a real handout, from a real teacher in a real school, in a real city called Mancelona, Michigan, in a real state? I mean, what's not real is your contrived notions of sexuality and systematic injustices and social justice rather than justice that's defined objectively. You're the ones that deny that there's anything such as reality. And now we're being accused of making stuff up. Next sentence. Whiteness is the control and the standard because whiteness is fundamentally about power. Okay. That was page number one, and then they have a read the article and then a reflect. That's where we are, and they're denying it. They're denying it. The article is The Raisin in the Sun, 
and reflect. Listen to these questions about reflect. If you identify as white, reflect on how white privilege operates in your personal life. What advantages do you experience because of your whiteness? How do those privileges contribute to your opinions and actions? If you identify as black or a person of color, reflect on how you've seen whiteness benefit white individuals. How has white privilege impacted your life? Does this sound like um, indoctrination to you? Or does it sound like education to you? Does, does, do you get the feeling that if any student, any 13, 14-year-old junior high student that just got this assignment, who had the courage because his parents taught him or her well enough to stand up and defend themselves, and to call a spade a spade, call nonsense nonsense, call a lie a lie. If any 14-year-old stood up and said that in this class, do you get the feeling that he or she would be excoriated, embarrassed, and humiliated by the teacher who handed out this assignment? In fact, can you just hear it right now? Well, your objection to this is proof to the point. You've just proven that you are a racist. You've just proven that you're enjoying white privilege because you object to white privilege. The very fact that you don't see that your whiteness is your power, it does, the very fact that you don't see that is proof that your whiteness is your power. It's a catch-22, and your kids are caught in it. Again, they're telling you that this doesn't exist. And I'm reading it to you. Line for line, word for word. If you identify as white, well, what if I, what if I'm white and I ident- identify as black? Am I guilty of cultural appropriation now? Am I guilty of uh, trying to steal someone's blackness? Does that make me guilty of white privilege because I deny that I'm white and I identify as black? These people are out of their minds. Nowhere in Scripture, people. Do we ever focus on race? The Bible never focuses on blacks and whites. We are neither Jew, we are neither Greek, we are neither barbarian, Scythian. We are Christians. We are one in the body of Christ. And the hand can never say to the foot, I have no need of you. Critical race theory is pervasive. I could spend weeks reading you the curriculum that's being taught in school after school after school that's identical to to this from Mancelona, Michigan. And they think you're stupid enough to believe them when they tell you that this is a made-up issue. It's been made up by white supremacists. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion. Have a great weekend.